On the resurrection morning when all the dead in Christ shall rise I'll have a new body, praise the Lord, I'll have a new life Eternal soul, in weakness, raised in power, ready to live in paradise I'll have a new body, praise the Lord, I'll have a new life I'll have a new home Glory, glory With the redeemed of God Never there will be no more sorrow No, no more pain There'll be no more strife Yes, raising the likeness In of my likeness Ready to live I'll be glad I'll have a new body Praise the Lord I'll have a new life Eternal Free From every imperfection Youthful and happy I shall be Lost in victory I'll have a new body Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life Oh yes, I'll have a new home Glory, glory With the redeemed Never God said There'll be no more sorrow No, no more pain, pain There'll be no more strife Yes, raising the likeness In his likeness Ready to live I'll be glad I'll have a new body Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life Trump of God shall sound. I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Eternal grace. All bursting saints are shouting heavenly beauty all around. I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. I'll have a new home. Glory, glory. With the reading of God to stand. No more pain, there'll be no more strife. Yes, raising the likeness of this likeness. Ready to live, I'll be glad. I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be. Welcome to the Passion for Christ show. So glad to have you, friend. By the way, I am your host, Bruce Kessler. Hey, I just want to let you know I'm part of the greatest movement ever, a follower of Jesus Christ, because you see in him and alone, I find peace, joy, happiness. I am blessed beyond measure, more than I could ever deserve. My goal here is very simple. That is to encourage you along the way to help you find your passion in life in Jesus Christ. Upcoming in our study segment, we're going to have a special guest talking about what is Christmas. Special guest with Brother Michael McCorkle, what is Christmas? But before we get to that study segment, we have a few things to get through along the way. And the first is Headline News. Well, now get this, folks. Get this. Last Sunday, over 500 volunteers came to pack meals for those in need at Hope City Church of Joplin during their 
9 and 10 a.m. services in a season where it can be easy to give our attention and focus to things we wanted to focus on people instead of having a typical worship gathering we spent our time packing meals and helping to feed hungry families the church compiled with coronavirus restrictions everyone wore mask gloves and hair nets and all 40 Thousand meals were packed. Amen, folks. A forty thousand meals were then delivered to Watered Garden Ministries, which church has partnered with for many, many years. The meals will be distributed at their mission market and their outreach center. Hope City Church of Joplin is campus of the Hope City Church, which has three locations. There are a group of people who are dedicated to helping people identify and take their next step in the safety and freedom of community. There you go, folks. Isn't that wonderful? Missouri Church packs over 40,000 meals last Sunday for those in need. Amen, folks. People are in desperate straits these days. For sure. Well, folks, this one here will get your goat a little bit, I'm afraid. Laura McNamara, a well-known transgender activist known by followers as Zania Jones, made the argument that all children should be given puberty blockers until they're old enough to confirm their chosen gender identity. I kid you not, folks. I kid you not, she made her case in a series of posts on Twitter. If children can't consent to puberty blockers, which cause any permanent changes, even with the relevant professional evaluation, how can they consent to the permanent irreversible changes that come with their own puberty with no professional evaluation whatsoever? This is literally a position that permanent changes are fine as long as as you're not trans, she continued, and inability to offer informed consent or understand the long-term consequences is actually an argument for putting every single cis and trans person on puberty blockers until they acquire their ability. Jones' comments were made after the United Kingdom Supreme Court ruled that children under 16 years old are unlikely unable to provide informed consent regarding puberty blockers. The court case involved 23-year-old Kira Bell, a biological female, who sued the British National Health Service's Gender Identity Development Service for Children and Adolescents for giving her puberty block blockers when she was 16. Bell has since, listen to this, folks, Bell has since regretted her decision to transition, asserting that she was too young at the time of transition. Folks, that whole thing is just pure, pure madness and insanity anyway. Transgender activists makes argument for all kids taking puberty blockers until they can confirm their gender identity. Madness, folks. Complete, utter Craziness in this world. Woo! Mm. Well, here's a better report. Listen to this. 
Alabama's Nick Saban is known as a ferocious, tough-nosed head coach who rarely smiles on game day and demands excellence from his players and assistants. But Sunday mornings are for church, he told SEC Network panel this weekend. Saban's top-ranked team had just beaten Florida 52-46 in the SEC Championships Saturday to secure a spot on the four-team college playoff. And then there's the playoff selection show airs at, aired at 11 o'clock Central Sunday morning, and Laura Rutledge of the SEC Network asked Saban if he had any plans to watch it. He replied with an answer that surprised Rutledge and perhaps surprised many others in the audience. He said, I go to church from 11 to 12, so they're going to have to either schedule at a different time or I'm going to find out when I get out of church. Amen, folks? <laughs> Saban, who has five national championships, is Catholic. He discussed his faith during a 2016 interview before and uh, basically that said simply, and was asked how his faith plays into his success as coach, which he said, I don't think there's any questions about the fact that character and moral development are all part of leadership. I look at it as, as we always say, God have mercy, but that mercy is not a well. It's not a cistern. It's a channel that should run through us to other people. That's part of what we try to do for our players so they have a chance to be more successful in life. Amen, folks. I go to church, Alabama's Nick Saban says, when asked what he does Sunday mornings. <laughs> Where do you go on Sunday mornings, friend? I pray it's at church. And that's our headline news. For this broadcast. And now, this day in church history. In 17th century England, Parliament attempted to suppress Baptists for a number of reasons, among them a desire for greater religious unity. A law in 1645 forbade anyone from preaching unless they had been ordained in the Church of England or in some other Reformed church. That law failed to have much effect because many Baptist preachers had previously been ordained in the state church. On this day, in December 1646, Parliament passed a new law in an attempt to suppress the, the growth of the Baptist. Here was that law. The commons assembled in Parliament to declare that they do dislike and will proceed against all such persons as shall take upon them to preach or expound the scriptures in any church or chapel or any other public place except they may be ordained either here or in some other reformed church as it is already prohibited 
in an order of both houses of the 26th of April, 1645, and likewise against all such ministers or others as shall publish or maintain by preaching, writing, or any other way, anything against or in derogation of church government, which is now established by authority of both houses of parliament, and all justices of peace, sheriffs, mayors, bailiffs, and other head officers of corporations, and all officers of the army are to take notice of this declaration by all lawful ways and means to prevent offenses of this kind and to apprehend the offenders and give notice thereof to this house that thereupon course may be speedily taken for a due punishment to be inflicted on them. Mm, mm, mm. All this to silence Baptist preachers in 1646. My, oh, my, folks. My, oh, my. And that's this day in church history. And now, folks, we have our new segment, my observation segment. I take a moment in time during the past week, uh, something that I saw and noticed, and apply spiritual truth to it. Well, that was that happened to be yesterday when my wife and I and our granddaughter Carly went to see Wonder Woman 1984. We were able to go to a theater of all things. Everything has been shut down over the course of the pandemic. But yesterday they reopened some of the theaters. Well, the theme of the entire movie was this. Truth is far superior than a lie. And so as we were walking out of the movie theater, I turned to Carly and asked her, what do you think was the main point of the movie that they wanted to get across. What do you think that might be, Carly? And she turned without without skipping a beat. She says, truth is better than a lie. Amen, folks. Out of the mouth of babes come truth. And I think in the world in which we live in today, we need more truth. And the truth that we really need is Jesus. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Amen, folks. That's my observation segment for this broadcast. And now, folks, we have another segment that we do, and it's called the thankfulness segment. We take a scripture out. That reminds us to be thankful. Psalms 95, 1 through 3. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. And we do offer thanksgiving to this great God who brought the Messiah, the Lord, the King of Kings into this world 
ultimately dying and paying for the redemption of our sins. Amen, folks. Those are great reasons to be thankful. And now, folks, we have named that Bible character. Here is your clue. Here is your clue. I said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Who am I? Here is your clue. I said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Who am I? That is the clue for name that Bible character. So stay tuned for that exciting reveal in our final segment of Name That Bible Character. And now, folks, we are, have a special guest, Brother Michael McCorkle, and he's going to answer the question, what is Christmas? So gather up your Bibles and uh, pull up a chair and get your cup of coffee or whatever you have to drink for this morning. And now we have Brother Michael McCorkle. Christmas. It's the most wonderful time of the year, the song tells us. Actually, Christmas is an extremely popular holiday in the United States and around the world. It is a time when people think a lot about giving and a lot about receiving. People think a lot about spending time with family, and some people think a lot about Jesus Christ. You see, in America, Christmas is a very secular celebration. Yet, originally, it was a celebration on December 25th of the birth of Jesus Christ. As I mentioned, here in America, most of the people who celebrate Christmas today celebrate it as a secular holiday. It's just a time to be with family and friends, to buy gifts, to enjoy one another's company and good food. Yet, there are many churches that the place of Christmas plays a very important role in those churches. They have Christmas plays and Christmas festivities, Christmas parties and Christmas trees. There's so many things involved in their celebration of Christmas. Some of them get extremely elaborate with flying angels and camels actually on stage at their churches having this great celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. Well, Bruce has asked me to talk a little bit today about Christmas, and what I'd like to do is spend just a few minutes with you talking about what the Bible actually says, not about what history tells us, not about how it drives our economy or attitudes we should have about Christmas, but rather what do we actually know about the birth of Jesus Christ and how should that impact us as Christians. The first thing I want to mention is that there are many, many ideas about Christmas and the birth of Jesus that are just myths or legends that have been developed more from the songs about Christmas than really from the Bible story of the birth of Jesus. There are four Gospels that tell the life of Jesus, yet of those four Gospels, 
Two of them don't even mention the birth of Jesus directly. They don't tell any stories about it. John just merely says that uh, the Word, being Jesus Christ, the Word was made flesh and doesn't give us a description. Neither does Mark. Matthew and Luke both give us descriptions. Luke's is the most detailed of the descriptions. But in none of the Bible narratives do you find December 25th because the truth is we just don't know when Jesus was born. Not only don't we know the day, we don't know the month. And not only don't we know the month, we don't actually know what year Jesus Christ was born. We know close. We can make wise, educated guesses. But the truth is the Bible just doesn't tell us. The Bible never tells us that there were three wise men. I know you may have heard the songs, We Three Kings. You may have talked with other people about the three wise men. You may have heard stories about that. But the Bible never tells us how many wise men there were. As far as the Bible narrative goes, there were no talking animals. There was no little drummer boy. There are so many legends that have grown up around the birth of Jesus. But really, the story in the New Testament is a very simple story. It's a story that's told in Matthew and Luke, and it's a story that's not much made of in the rest of the New Testament. In Galatians, Paul mentions that in due season, or in the proper time, that God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, But that's about the extent of the mention of the birth of Christ in the rest of the New Testament. Seems odd that something that receives such little attention in the New Testament would be such a focus of much of Christianity. In fact, there are many people that I've known through the years that basically the only time they ever assemble with the church to worship is on this day of Christmas. Well, what do we know? Well, what we actually know about the birth of Jesus is very limited, but very specific. We know, for instance, that His birth was not His beginning. In John chapter 1 and verse 1, He says, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." In the very beginning, we read the story in Genesis how God said, "...let us make man in our image." This one we knew as Jesus here on this earth didn't begin at the moment of His birth here, but His life was existent forever. In fact, in Micah, He says that this Messiah who was to be born in Bethlehem, He said His goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. So one thing we know about the birth of Jesus is that it was not the beginning of this being we knew as Jesus. As far as the details of the story, we know from Matthew and Luke that Jesus was born to a young lady named Mary. She was a young virgin who was espoused, that's similar to engaged, to a carpenter in Nazareth named Joseph. Now Nazareth was about 90 miles north of Jerusalem. And this young lady lived in Nazareth and was visited by an angel one night. The angel Gabriel came and he told her that she had found favor in the eyes of God and that she would be with child. And she questioned him. She said, how can that be? Because I'm a virgin. I've not been with a man. 
and he said it will be a miraculous event. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you will become pregnant and he will be known as the Son of God. He said also your cousin Elizabeth is expecting a child. So when this was over, Mary told the angel, you know, as God desires, that's, that's fine. Do, do, have God do what he wills with me. And so when this was over, Mary loads up and travels to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Now there with Elizabeth, she arrives and spends some time with Elizabeth. Elizabeth's child, who becomes John the Baptist, is born, and Mary returns home to Joseph. When she returns home now, she's been gone six months or so, and she is great with child. She's expecting the baby Jesus. Now, when she left, as far as Joseph knew, she wasn't pregnant. Joseph knew that she was still a virgin. She and he hadn't been together. And when she comes back, she's pregnant. Joseph is heartbroken. Can you imagine the sorrow that would have filled his heart? You know, back then they didn't have cell phones and video calls. And there wasn't any way to talk to her every night to check in. He didn't know what she'd been doing for six months. And then, when he goes to her, he sees that she's pregnant, and he says, What is this? And her answer would have been, Well, it's a miracle from God. I've not been with anyone. Do you think anyone would believe that story? Joseph didn't. In fact, the Bible says that Joseph was just, and that he was minded to put her away privately. That means he was going to divorce her, but he wasn't going to make a big deal out of it publicly. He wasn't going to try to humiliate her. He was just heartbroken and going to move on. But we find that night an angel of the Lord visited Joseph. And he told Joseph that what Mary had said was true, that she was still a virgin, that she had not been unfaithful to him, but that she had a child of the Holy Spirit, and that this would be the child of the Son of God. Well, Joseph, just as Mary did, humbly submitted himself to the will of God. About this time, we find that it was called for by Caesar Augustus that all the people in the world who were under the rule of Caesar were to be taxed. And so they were going to have a census, and the requirement was that you went back to the town of your ancestry. Now that town for Joseph was the town of Bethlehem, just outside of Jerusalem. So he and Mary took off and went to this little town of Bethlehem. The Bible tells us that when they arrived, there was no room in the local hotel. There was nowhere for them to stay. So. She was at that time ready to give birth, and so when she gave birth, there was nowhere for her to be other than in basically a barn. We know that there was a manger, which is a trough that you feed animals in, and she wrapped the baby up in some cloth, and she laid the baby, Jesus, in that feeding trough for the animals. We know that when that happened, some angels proclaimed to shepherds who were out in the field that this day in the city of David is born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. We know that from the day of His birth, 
He was the Savior. From the day of His birth, He was the Christ. From the day of His birth, He was the Lord. We know that these shepherds went and worshipped Him. We also know that there were wise men who had followed a star, and this star eventually led them to Bethlehem where Jesus was, and they worshipped Him and brought Him gifts. We know that Herod, who was king at the time, had asked the wise men to bring him word of where this baby who was supposed to be king of the Jews was so he could go worship him. But Herod really didn't want to worship Jesus. Herod wanted to kill him because he saw this as a threat to his throne. Well, an angel comes and warns Joseph in a dream. And so Joseph leaves, takes his young wife and this baby, and they go all the way down to Egypt. And the first part of Jesus' life was spent in Egypt. We know that in a desperate attempt to kill Jesus, Herod had all the children two years old and younger killed in this city of Bethlehem. We know very little other than the things that I've just reported to you about the birth of Jesus. You know, Jesus, I believe, is the Son of God. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Yet His birth was not some magnificent ordeal in a palace surrounded by the most important people in the world. But it was a very humble and simple thing. You know, many of the productions that have taken hold in Christian religion today about the birth of Jesus are just that. They're just shows. They're just productions. They're far more elaborate than the actual event itself was. Now one question that comes up when we talk about Christmas is should a Christian celebrate Christmas? Well, I believe in Romans 14, he tells us if you want to celebrate a day, keep a day as holy, that's fine as long as you don't insist other people do it. And if you don't want to keep a day as holy, that's fine as long as you don't insist other people don't keep the day as holy. Just don't judge one another and don't try to get each other to do something you don't think is right. My personal belief about Christmas is that if you want to celebrate December 25th as the birth of Jesus and you want to glorify and praise God that the Savior was born, you're very welcome to do that. If you want to choose to say, you know what, this is just going to be a time of year where we can get together with our family, with our friends, enjoy food and give gifts and celebrate our love for one another, you're certainly welcome to do that too. I don't believe either one of those is a violation of Scripture. Now one of the things you will notice at many churches, as I said, some churches have the big productions, but other churches, Christmas is just another day of the year as far as that church is concerned. There are no special celebrations in the church. And I actually believe this is most true to the spirit of the New Testament. As I told you earlier, none of the other writers in the New Testament talk much about the birth of Jesus. There's never a hint anywhere in the Bible that God expected, asked, requested, or commanded anyone to celebrate the birth of Jesus. 
Not that it's wrong if you personally want to do it, but the church was never commanded to celebrate the birth of Jesus. You know what we were commanded? We were commanded every week to commemorate the death of Jesus, to commemorate it in what we call the communion or the Lord's Supper where we take bread and fruit of the vine and we commemorate the sacrifice, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the pivotal event in human history. I hope you enjoy this Christmas season and I hope you have a a way that you can celebrate this that will bring glory to God and draw you closer to Him. And I hope that you and your family will take time during this season to actually read what the Bible says about the birth of Jesus. You can find it in Matthew 1 and Luke chapter 2. Read what the Bible says really happened and embrace that as truth and weed out all of the myths and superstitions and songs that you've heard. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas season. Well, I want to just thank Brother Michael McCorkle for his uh, uh, outstanding study. What What is Christmas? Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for bringing us into this world, His Son, Jesus Christ, and then sacrificing Him on the cruel cross of Calvary so we may have hope of our sins being totally forgiven and assurance of eternal life. Amen, folks. Amen. Thank you, Brother Michael McCorkle. And now we have the final segment of Name That Bible Character. Here was your clue. I said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Who am I? Well, it was Nathaniel. That's right. Nathaniel. John chapter 1 verse 46. And Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, Come and see. I said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Who am I? Nathaniel. And name that Bible character. Well, folks, you too can become a follower of Jesus Christ. You can come to Him in repentance and forgiveness of your sins by submitting to baptism. And you will find peace that passes all understanding. Be blessed beyond measure, more than you ever could deserve, friend. My goal here was very simple. That is to encourage you along the way to help you find your passion in life in Jesus Christ. Visit our website, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com. Well, friend, I just want to tell you this. Thank you for walking along my side during this broadcast. It's been a privilege and an honor. May God bless you. Why me, Lord? What have I ever done to this?
did I ever do that was worth loving you for the kindness you've shown? Oh, Lord, help me, Jesus, I've wasted it, so help me, Jesus, I know My soul's in your hand. Do, 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 do. Try me, Lord. If you think there's a way I can try to repay all I've taken from you. I know what I am, no one. And now that I know that I needed you, so help me, Jesus. My soul's in your hand. Lord, help me, Jesus. I've wasted. I know what I am, no one. And now that I know that I needed you, so help me, Jesus. My soul's in your hand, Jesus. My soul's in your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you may be also, and where I go you know, and the way 